When I was a child, I hated Lent. It meant weeks and weeks of deprivation, which I resented bitterly. When Easter arrived, I felt sanctimoniously justified, suffering with Jesus, and victorious in the end. But alas, that evaporated the next day when I went right back to my old life. My non-religious friends were interested in why I did what I did. In their eyes, it must be about my need to do things right. But it didn't make my friends any more interested in the church. It was just one of those churchy things that I did. It wasn't compelling for them. The Gospel of John was written for a community of new Jewish Christians who lived a hundred years after Jesus was born. They were a persecuted community, persecuted by the Jews as infidels and persecuted by the Romans as a threat to the corridors of power. And so they turned to the Gentiles for sanctuary. And among their numbers were Samaritans. Allow me to digress briefly to trace the history of the relationship between the Samaritans and the Jews. 900 years before the time of Jesus, when King Solomon died, his son Rehoboam came into power. Rehoboam was interested in amassing even more power and wealth, so he put the squeeze on the northern tribes of Israel, who retaliated by revolting and erecting their own king, leaving forever the tribes of Judah, where Jerusalem was. Soon thereafter, the Assyrians captured Israel in the north where Samaria was, and the Assyrians scattered the Israelites to the four winds, and the Israelites went about assimilating to the Assyrians, which meant worshiping their gods. However, the Assyrians also allowed some worship of Yahweh because they were frightened about retaliation if they did not allow Yahweh. One of the tenets of the Samaritan theology was that the Messiah would come from the line of Moses, the prophet, and his headquarters would be on Mount Gerizim, where Jesus was in this gospel, not in Jerusalem. So when Jesus tells the woman at the well to call her husband, and she tells him that she has no husband, and he replies that she's had five, it is not a comment on her questionable morality, but a metaphor for the false god worship of the Samaritans. The Bible is full of references to infidelity as a metaphor for idolatry. This is the use of marriage language for the relationship of God to the people of God. Jesus is called the bridegroom of the new Israel. Now, while the northern tribes were being dispersed by the Assyrians, the southern tribes did not have much more luck. They became pawns in the power struggles of Assyria, Babylon, and Egypt, including two enormous deportations into exile of the skilled and educated Jews into the capital of Babylon, where Nebuchadnezzar was. This lasted, the exile lasted, until Cyrus, king of Persia, went on his religious mission and conquered all of the Middle East. Cyrus then had a dream that Yahweh appeared to him and said, reinstitute Yahweh worship. So Cyrus rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem and sent the Jews out of Babylon back to Jerusalem. As a result of this, there were many splits, many divisions, between the Samaritans who worshipped Yahweh, but also Baal and other gods, and who waited for a descendant of Moses on Mount Gerizim, 
And the Jews, who believed that the seat of power was in the temple at Jerusalem, and waited for a king from the line of David as the Messiah. When we hear about the Samaritan woman at the well, it is the signal that the author of the Gospel wants to talk about the role Jesus was playing in the reunification of all the tribes of Israel and Judah, and indeed the reconciliation of all tribes to the heart of God. We, in the 21st century, take that for granted, that Jesus came to the whole world and not just the Jews, but for this little suffering, persecuted community, that was a critical point. They were looking for some friendly neighbors. He says, Jesus says, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither in Jerusalem nor on this mountain. That is, the new way of knowing God will not be that of the Jews or that of the Samaritans, but that of Jesus. That of knowing Jesus and following Jesus. God's imagination is much bigger than whether you worship in Jerusalem or on Mount Gerizim, and God doesn't hold your ancestry against you. The woman realizes that Jesus is again, is indeed, the Messiah, and she leaves her water jar just the way the disciples left their nets and their boats as a signal that they were entering a new life. And she goes to her townspeople to proclaim her witness, her knowledge, her understanding of Jesus. This is the way of saying that she has had a conversion, and her conversion sparks conversion to the Samaritans. But this is the way the word of Jesus the word of God, is made known in the Gospel of John, that a disciple full of faith offers witness to people who then listen to Jesus and come to the belief that Jesus is God and that God is on earth with us. But of course, this is a message for us. We are those disciples who will lead the world to Jesus. It's not your actions, it's your conviction which attracts people to Jesus in John's Gospel. We live in a time when the community of the living God is so attenuated as to make the rise of atheism an attractive and powerful force for thinking people. Our churches are so divided that they are in danger of extinction. Our gospel is so deadened that it has been cut up for slogans and proof texts for political causes. There are people all over the country and the world who are starting to say that it's time to leave the churches and to take to the art galleries and the coffee houses and the streets and the shelters and wherever it is that people are. Are they Samaritan? The disciples were uneasy when they saw Jesus with this woman and when they realized that he was so enthusiastic about her conversation that he didn't even want to eat their food. That Jesus brought the Samaritans back to the fold for a woman is no coincidence. The author uses the woman to point out that Jesus will be present to and engaged with and intimate with those people who make us uneasy, who make us jealous, whom we have avoided or alienated or condemned or rejected. For the disciples, it wasn't that Jesus was having a conversation with an axe murderer. They could have written that off as just another healing miracle. It was as if Jesus was having a lively and satisfying conversation with someone who believed everything the disciples did not believe. 
And he seemed to prefer that conversation to having a meal with them. That is embarrassing and provocative. What's the point here? To love a Samaritan is to put down one's most cherished beliefs, to set aside one's deepest sense of righteousness, to reserve judgment on all that we think is true and correct. To love a Samaritan is to listen hard to that which sets one's teeth on edge, to open the mind to those things which seem so wrong, to consider again whether we can put aside our cherished disagreements for the sake of living together in the resurrection. Lent is not the time for suffering needlessly. There is plenty of suffering in just staying alive. It is the time for turning away from one's hardness of heart. Lent is the time for walking toward one's conflict, for looking again at those people in our lives whose forgiveness we need. Lent is the time we are asked to demonstrate what love means to those who cause us the deepest pain. The Gospel of John was written for a community of believers who cherished their bond as the children of God and the friends of Jesus. If ever the world needed to see the bonds of love at work, it would be now. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot O-R-G. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon.